Cowboy Nation, what up, what up, what up everyone, welcome to episode 192, you heard that right, episode 192 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo, don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you listen to Combo's Court, today's show, Gary Parrish of CBS joins in, Gary is a college basketball columnist and TV analyst for CBS Sports. A great conversation with Gary. Can't wait for you to hear it. You could find Gary on Twitter at Gary Parish CBS. That's G-A-R-Y-P-A-R-R-I-S-H-C-B-S. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Gary Parrish of CBS Sports. Welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today? I'm hanging in there. I, I, I've never lived during a pandemic with children. Uh, so this is, uh, I'm still adjusting, but I, I you know, big picture, uh, relatively speaking, I, I got no complaints. I hope you're doing well too. I'm doing well. I actually have a son. Uh, just turned a little bit over a year. So I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, Gary, I brought you in here to talk about the draft, but obviously a lot has happened since we, um, made that plan to have this podcast first most importantly um what was your initial thoughts when it comes to the boycott of the nba uh which started out with the milwaukee bucks and then led through the the rest of the night the rest of the games were postponed yeah i I think we could see it coming probably uh as early as tuesday because that's the the first day other than the day before the playoffs actually started it was the first time since players started playing in the bubble that there weren't games during the day but there were press conferences and I I believe it was Raptors and Celtics and uh, basically to a player and, and also including the coaches, you could tell that they were uh, a bit deflated, um, frustrated, disappointed, angry, and trying to figure out what they could do to make an impact because, you know, as Fred Van Vliet put it, um, they had felt, and I'm not even sure they were right about this, but they had felt like they had somehow not done enough. You know, Fred said, you know, we put Black Lives Matter on the court and we're wearing, you know, nice T-shirts and we're trying to say things. But we just watched another unarmed black man get shot seven times in the back by a white police officer and nothing is changing. Now, I don't think it's, this is my personal opinion, I don't think it's their responsibility to change the world overnight. It's just their, you know, the goal should be to, uh, you know, try to create the conversations that they're undeniably creating. But either way, they felt like they what they were doing wasn't enough. And so they wanted to do something else. And then obviously, you know, the, uh, Wednesday was a historic day, not just in basketball, but in, in sports, because it did trickle into other sports. And I, I think the, the objective here is to hopefully use the leverage that they have and the stage that the NBA provides to, to get real action. Now, what that looks like, reasonable people can disagree on, but I think a reasonable first step or next step um, because it has been reported that the Bucks spent part of yesterday on the phone with the 
attorney general of the state of Wisconsin. Right. They would like to see the officer that that shot Jacob Blake seven times in the back and left him paralyzed. And and by the way, shot him in front of his children. They would like to see that um, that officer arrested and charged with whatever crime um, somebody who does what that officer did should be charged with. And I think um, not that this is a, a win loss thing, but if that were to happen, I do believe the players could stand up and say, "We we got to win. We did something. We we took a stand." And now the officer who did that is being held accountable. But um, obviously, this is a story that's still developing, literally, as we're speaking right now. Right. I think they're actually having a meeting right now, from what I'm yeah. hearing. Um, it kind of brings everything back to what Kyrie was saying, because, you know, Kyrie was saying it's a distraction. Um, and then others would debate that with that, you know, you have a big platform when you're with the NBA and you could make real change that way. But I hope this can bring some real change, you know. I, 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 obviously, uh, I, I, I think we all do, or at least most of us do. And um, I, I, I'll acknowledge that I was wrong about this. I was somebody when Kyrie and, and even other players started talking about maybe not going to the bubble because it would take attention away from the movement and, as you put it, be a distraction. Um, I didn't really put much stock into what Kyrie said because he didn't really have any skin in the game. He's on a non-contender and he was, he was hurt. He's not playing. So like, you know, he, he's not losing anything by not playing. I, I was more interested when Fred Van Vliet said something similar because, you know, he's a key player on a contender on the reigning world champs. Right. Uh, but, but even then I, I sort of argued the other side. I said, listen, the NBA will provide these players with a massive national television audience, a big stage, to make the points they want to make, to try to create the change they want to create. And if I'm being completely honest with you, um, it has served as a distraction for me. You know, I, I am someone who, yes, I work in sports, but I, I follow the news very closely. I have interests um, outside of sports. Most of my interests are outside of sports. And there was a period of time where I would get done with my radio show at six o'clock in the evening and come home and I'm in the door by 6.30. And my wife and I and our three children, while cooking or cleaning or playing or whatever, we would have cable news on, you know, you know, right. and we were sort of immersed in COVID-19 developments, immersed in Black Lives Matter uh, movement, um, uh, just sort of it, it was in our face all night until we went to bed. And the truth is that when baseball came back and basketball came back, I'd stop watching cable news. You know, I, I, it doesn't mean that I'm still not up to date on what's happening in this country. Like I said, I, I, I read a lot all day, every day, but right. I, I'm, I'm not in it like I was. And partially is because, um, you know, there's other things to do. You know, I'm a Mets fan, so I watch baseball every night. Um, I'm a basketball fan, so I watch basketball every night. And um, that, I, I think, it, it, that's just a personal story, but I don't think it's unique to me. I think a lot of us sort of did take our eye off the ball, if you will. Um, but what happened Sunday in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and then what happened Tuesday in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with um, a 17-year-old white man. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, when you contrast the videos, I don't understand how – I don't care who you voted for in the last election, who you're going to vote for this November. I don't know how you could watch those two videos and not recognize the problem. In one video, an unarmed black man is shot seven times in the back – in front of his children. In the other video, a 17-year-old white man with a large gun who has just shot three people, killed two of them, walks right past police, gets into a vehicle, 
and drives home and, and sleeps in his own bed. Like if that, if that, that is the issue um, in two videos. And I, I, I think anybody should be outraged by the way those two instances unfolded, but especially um, people of color, because when you watch those videos, you see somebody who looks like you um, have his life wrecked in a way that is irreversible. And you see somebody who looks like the cop who did it to that person, shoot three people, kill two of them, and walk right past cops, no issue whatsoever. It's, um, it's, it's, it's infuriating. It's, um, it's a sad time and, and hopefully um, some good can come out of all this. Very sad time and I'm with you. I hope some good could come out of this. And uh, it's a developing story, so we will see what happens with the NBA. I wanted to shift to you. I mean, you have a lot of interest outside of basketball. The NBA draft, it's a niche subject and you cover all sports. What kind of challenges does that bring for you? Well, um, you know, first, like I, I'm going to be familiar with most of the prospects because right. um, I've, I've followed them since, in some cases, since they were teenagers on the grassroots circuit. In other cases, while they were in college, um, obviously the international prospects are not somebody that I've, I've I've watched in person, you know, many many times, if at all. So, has international prospects slipped in the past because of that on your mock drafts? Um, I will tell you, um, I, I have been wrong about international prospects um, and, and not any more wrong than I've been about anybody else or anybody right, else right. has been about anybody. But like, I wonder if Luka Doncic played college basketball, if I would have had a better appreciation for what he was going to be. Now, now I thought he was great. I thought he was a top three player in the 2018 NBA draft. But the truth is, he was a top one player in the 2018 NBA draft. And literally nobody should have been even considered to be selected in front of him, even though you know, right. DeAndre Ayton has been very good and Jaron Jackson Jr. has been very good and Trey Young is a, is a you know, very young all-star. 100%. Um, Luca is, is, is the star of that class. And there, uh, th there were people who saw him a lot in person who insisted he has to go number one. But I insisted that, Gary. I definitely did. Well, well then I'll give you credit because um, <laughs> you, you, were, you were on the right side of this. And right. ob obviously the Suns were on the wrong side and the Kings were on the wrong side and the, uh, the Hawks were on the wrong side. Well, the Trey, the Trey thing is interesting because he's, he's a great player and I think he has MVP potential, but this will be hanging over his head for a long time, even with that potential. There's no know? question. Like he is an example of somebody who has, who was drafted, I guess, fifth overall has exceeded all reasonable expectations 100%. and still still you were wrong to 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 trade Luka Doncic to get him like it's one of those deals where um hey like DeAndre Ayton is very good like he's gonna yes. be an all-star um yeah. you were wrong you were wrong to take him you know Luka was the guy and I, I I do wonder if I would have you know if I would have watched him play college basketball seen him up close would I have a, a better appreciation for how all of it is going to translate because it's obviously all translated perfectly well, you did realize how high the EuroLeague level was, right? And he won MVP of that league. I mean, that's the best basketball in the world outside of the NBA. Yes, I think the, the trap that I fell in, um, and again, like I had him going top two or three. But right. The, but, but the trap that I fell into was the pretty common one. Like, um, he's not a great athlete. He doesn't really uh, blow you away in terms of, of, of the way he moves. And will he be able to shot create against NBA level athletes the way he can shot create in Europe. Um, and and, and the, like, it's not just that I wondered that, like actual NBA people, like folks who run franchises wondered that. And 
I, I you know, like the truth is like you, you look up and it, we didn't just realize it this past weekend when he had the incredible triple double and, and buzzer beater over right. the Clippers. Like it's something we've been seeing literally since he entered the league. Um, whatever he was doing in Europe, he can do in the NBA. He gets where he wants to get. He doesn't get there the same way Steph Curry gets there or the right. same way Trey Young gets there, but he gets where he wants to get. And um, he, he's, he's an amazing, amazing talent. Somebody that people are already talking about, if he stays healthy, can maybe be a, a top 10 player in the history of the sport. Couldn't have said it better than that. Uh, let's get off Luca because uh, my listeners think uh, I talk about him too much. But let's shift the current day. Uh, LaMelo, you like him at number one from what I'm reading in your mock drafts. I actually read one of your mock drafts today. And in the past, I've read them. Um, I like Anthony Edwards. Like, he would be the top of my big board. I mean, we could go into fit. I just think that if you place Anthony Edwards with NBA space, good things will happen. Why do you like LaMelo number one to Minnesota? I think if every – first off, I don't think he's a perfect fit there. I don't think anybody's a perfect fit there. And I don't think there is a sure bet prospect that's better than everybody else available. Like yeah. I, I, I personally – would um, say there's four guys who could reasonably be picked number one. It's LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, Obi Toppin. I know um, some people would throw uh, Denny Avdia in there as well. Um, But for me, it's those four guys. And so normally I would just, if I'm picking first, I I just pick best talent available. But I'm not sure that whoever the best talent available is, is that much better than another guy. And so um, if a different team were picking first, I might – select James Wiseman but if you're Minnesota and you've already got 24 year old center Carl Anthony Towns all NBA under contract for the next four years I don't know why you take another center there when it's not crystal clear that he's obviously better than the other guys so I I would be picking between LaMelo Ball Anthony Edwards and and Obi Toppin and I go LaMelo simply because um, from my perspective if everybody becomes what it appears they have the opportunity to become like, if they actually fulfill their potential, I think LaMelo Ball becomes the best player from the 2020 NBA draft. I'm not predicting he'll be that. I'm just saying that if he actually develops and reaches his sky, um, then, then he's, he's, he's the best. Because I, I do think he's the most dynamic. He's an incredible passer, an incredible shot creator, um, he sees things that other prospects his age can't see. He can create things other prospects his age cannot create. Um, there are issues, sure. Like, you know, yeah. it, 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 does he impact winning? Um, what is he on the defensive end? Shot making. Shot, yeah, can he get the shot selection under control? And then can he get the shot improved? Right. Um, by, by no means am I willing to bet my 401k that he's <laughs> going to be uh, an NBA All-Star someday. But I certainly think he's got – um, he's got a chance. And I, I, I think Anthony Edwards has a chance as well. I'm, I'm a little lower on him than others because um, he, he's obvious. Like the, the stuff people like about it, that's easy to see. You know, he's a 6'5". Big he has athlete. the raw materials. Yeah, it's all there. I mean, you can yeah. see the good stuff. That's not – you don't have to, you know, be a front office executive for the Celtics but, to recognize. But, but, Gary, that's why sometimes it's good to just keep it simple, don't you think? I, I, I can't argue with that, sure. Um, yeah. But I, I do wonder, like, you know, at, at Georgia, uh, why was he so inconsistent? Why did he settle so often? Like, the thing people loved about Anthony Edwards coming into college is that he is such a physical specimen with a great first step that 
um, it, it'll be uh, basically impossible for other college guards to stay in front of him, to keep him from getting to the rim. And yet he just settled shot after shot after shot after shot. And when he got going, man, he was something to see, but he didn't get going too often or often enough for my liking. I'd still take him in the, I, I'm trying to think where I have him in my um, mock draft. I think I have him third to Charlotte. So I, like, I still like him relative right. to the other prospects available, but um, there are some questions there for me about oh, what is he? Is he? I, I don't have any doubt he's going to score points in the NBA. He will. You know, you'll look up in a, two years and he'll be averaging twenty points per game at, at worst. But like, right? That that's my thing. Yeah. Yeah, but like, what else is he? Is he somebody who just scores but doesn't impact winning? Okay. It, it, it is or is he like exactly what the people who love him think he can be, which is an All NBA? Uh, score on the wing who can guard multiple positions. The talent and the physical tools to do those things, that's clear. Um, it's just he, he's got to put it together. And for whatever it's worth, he did, he did not put it together at Georgia. Like, I'm sure you're, uh, you know, you're in the loop. What is Intel telling you about Anthony Edwards? Because obviously I don't know the guy personally, but when I'm listening to him talk about basketball, uh, wherever it may be with Mike Schmitz, he just seems like super passionate about the game. And that's another thing I like about him. I think he has charisma. Um, is there intel issues with him that you know about? No, not, well, not anything that's too troubling. Like, uh, right. let's just start with uh, the character uh, you know, uh, thing that everybody talks about when it comes to prospects. I know Tom Crean loved him. Like, right, I, right, I, right. Yeah, he's not, a, he's not a problem off the court. Like, right. he, uh, there, there are no issues in that regard. Um, the, the, the question would be, um, you know, why – doesn't he commit on the defensive end the way that you'd like to see? Why did – I don't have the numbers in front of me. Yeah, but this I, wanna... feel, I just feel like this feels like Luca plays too many video games or Ben Simmons isn't engaged in defense at LSU. Like, that's what that feels like to me. Oh, I've, ne I've, nev I've never heard that. Like, um, like, <laughs> like, like, with, like with James Wiseman, there's some questions about how much does he love basketball. Like, does, does, is he just great at it because he's naturally gifted? Right. Uh, as opposed to great at it because it is all he wants to do. Like I remember Kevin Durant, like from a very early age, all you heard about him was he just wants to hoop. That's it. Like after his rookie year definitely, at, at, um, in the NBA, he moved back to Austin. Okay, this guy has already signed a Nike deal worth tens of millions of dollars. He's got more money than you know what to do with. He moved back to Austin, slept on one of, the, one of his friend's couches, and just hooped. In, you know, in open gym every day. Like, that's all he wanted to do. You weren't going to find Kevin Durant in the club. You weren't going to – I mean, not too often. Right, he, right. That guy's he a wanted, he he's like a – He's like a basketball nerd. Right. That's all he wanted to do. Kobe, that's all he wanted to do. Um, I've heard the opposite of James Wiseman. Now, I don't know that that's true. Like, I, and, and, again, I've got Wiseman going second, so I clearly like him from a talent perspective. But I haven't heard that about Anthony Edwards. I've just heard um, – does he know how to play? Is he willing to play the way he needs to play to be great? And again, the numbers aren't in front of me, but I want to say something like, you know, he, he shot 29% from three-point range and a large percent of his, of his field goal attempts were, were from three-point range. Why? When you are 6'5 and built the way he's built, why are you not getting fouled on drives almost every possession? Why are you settling for transition threes and step back threes and, and, and shots that you're, you can make, but not consistent enough, you know, but perhaps that was just a byproduct of the situation he was in, in Georgia, but yes. that, that, that's one of the concerns that, that I've heard, but let's be clear. 
his floor is pretty high. Like yeah. at worst, he's going to be a, a a score in the NBA. Like, is it going to impact positively um, when it comes to winning? We'll see. But he'll he will get the ball in the basket. I don't have any doubt about that. Right. So there's issues with shooting when it comes. I mean, not issues, but I mean, there's concerns. I would say with Lamelo or even Anthony Edwards. Even though I I love the way Anthony gets it off so easily, and um, even Denny. But one guy who's a great shooter and then I'm really high on is uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Like, and on top of that, I think his feel for the game is just incredible. Great size. Um, I guess you could say that he needs to get stronger. I could see that. But what do you think his ceiling is? Like, what is the best possible scenario 10 years from now when we're looking at Tyrese Halliburton? Oh, like, listen, I'm not ruling out um, all-star stuff. I mean, he is, right. I, I, you know, like, listen, I, I, I sort of – always hesitate to talk in these terms because it's so hard <laughs> to, yeah, to, yeah. Be a, to be a relevant NBA player, much less an all-star, but hundred percent, but could, could I envision a scenario? I guess I'd put it this way. I, I remember it, heading into whatever draft Kawhi Leonard was in and it was clear he wasn't going to be a top three pick or a top five pick. But I remember I was having a conversation like this with, uh, with somebody like you and they said, Hey, who's somebody who's not going to be at the top of the draft. That's got a chance to be an all-star. And I said, Kawhi Leonard. And I said, wow. I'm not predict I said, I'm not predicting it because like, it's a hard thing to do, but like, could I envision a scenario where we look back in five years and we go, oh, wow, that guy, it was there. You could have seen it. And now he's turned into like the best version of himself. And I, I'm not comparing Tyrese Halliburton to Kawhi Leonard as a player at all. They're not similar. But in terms of, there's a lot of stuff there when you look at it, like, uh, you know, Big guard was, you know, that that can can play on the ball or off the ball. Statistical monster, shot it well from the field, shot it well from three point range. Like he checks a lot of boxes. I've got him going in the top ten, but I guess I'd put it this way: if we were revisiting this three years from now, and it looks like Halliburton should have been a top three pick, um, that that won't surprise me at all. Right, you mentioned Kawhi, and it's interesting. It's hard to put a ceiling on somebody's offensive potential, you know, like especially since Kawhi because his improvement has been incredible. Like, let's say, I don't know, when Okoro could have that kind of improvement. It's like, who knows, you know? Right. I, I, I just think sometimes um, there are guys in drafts where if you – once you see them in the NBA, you go, oh, wow, I, I should have seen this. And, yeah. and you wonder why you didn't see it. In, I'll tell you, like, maybe the best example. Steph Curry. Like, you know, yep. why, why, why was Steph Curry not considered a realistic option at the, at, you know, in the top three of his NBA draft? Like, what, what have you seen in the NBA that you did not see in college? Like, I mean, what, what you know. Well, like, you see, well, you see more space, which could be conducive to scoring, you know? Well, well right. Like, I, I can remember this. Okay, so Steph Curry has that amazing 2008 NCAA tournament. Right. That was sort of his breakthrough. Like, he, he scored from the moment he stepped foot on Davidson. But, like, most people just didn't pay attention, even people who follow college basketball, until, you know, he had that run in the NCAA tournament because he was not, um, you know, a McDonald's All-American or even a top 100 prospect. He was Del Curry's kid who plays at Davidson. That's all. And um, so he has that amazing NCAA tournament. And then that summer – we were at some camp. It might've been like LeBron James camp in Akron. I don't know. One of those camps where the high school prospects are there, but they bring in college kids as well. So I remember like DeMar DeRozan's there and 
Tyreek uh, Evans is there. Like uh, the guys who were projected and ultimately went very high in, in upcoming NBA drafts. And Steph was there as well. And there was an open gym one day. And uh, like the way they would, they would counsel in the morning, these college players. And then in the middle of the day, when the high school prospects stepped away, they would play pickup. And it was pretty, it was good for scouts. And, and, and I believe NBA people were allowed there at the time. And it was good for them because they got to see, you know, these guys they're going to be picking you know, a year from now. And I remember sitting with somebody, I cannot remember who it was, whether it was a college coach or an NBA scout or whatever. But, well, I mean, we're in a gym and the best, the best prospects in the country that are in college or about to enter college are playing basketball. And I remember this person watching the game and saying, who is better than Steph Curry? Like who, who I, I know if we had the draft this minute, five of these guys would be picked ahead of him, but there's yeah. nobody on that. There's nobody on that court right now, better than Steph Curry. And I, I've never forgot that as I watched Steph become a two-time MVP and three-time world champion. If you looked at it and you didn't get caught up in, he's little, he's skinny. Um, is he really a point guard? If you didn't get caught up in that little stuff, everything you needed to see, it was there, and yet still, people when it came time to pick players, they didn't they didn't draft him appropriately. Yeah, he was a surprise to many. Who do you feel will be a surprise in this draft? Out of maybe somebody we haven't talked about yet, or that nobody's really talking about. The one I like, and this is another one where he's not going to be picked in the top ten, I don't think. But like, if he becomes a top ten player from this draft, you'll go, okay, what, what, why did I not recognize that? Aaron Neesmith. From, oh, a shoot, from, he's a shooter. Right, he's a you know yep. he's. he's He's uh, six six, great body, and shot eight three pointers a game and made fifty two percent of them. All right, Crazy. so like, yeah. So what? what there is nothing more valuable in the NBA right now than shooting. Yes. And so you have a, a, a somebody who has a good reputation, smart kid, went to Vanderbilt. Um, he's got size and the body, and he shoots it like crazy. What what do you what do you what what do you not like about that? Like again, I, I have him going um, in the lottery, and I think he he's got a chance to actually go in the lottery. But he is somebody I could see if we look up three years from now, and he's just in a playoff series, knocking down threes for you know somebody contending in the whatever conference. Right, just go, raising the level of a good team. Right, you're going okay. Why 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 wasn't that guy a top five pick? He was six six. Shot 52% on eight three-point attempts per game in the SEC, and we did we what what like we didn't we didn't see it. Like, what are we talk? What are we doing? Now he only played 14 games before he had season-ending uh, a foot injury, so the sample size is small. But there's enough there that I, I've seen what I need to see. Uh, I think um, I, I think he's got a chance to exceed wherever it is he'll be picked. And another guy that I think probably at least in my mind, fits that same sort of – goes under the same umbrella. Sadiq Bey at, at Villanova. Three and D. Yeah, six foot eight, uh, forward, like a combo forward who comes from an incredible program and shot 45% from three-point range. Like what, 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 is, what is there not to like? And so if he – I guess I'd put it this way. If we look up – because at the top of the draft, it's going to be Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, Obi Toppin. Um, Denny Avdia, like th those guys are going in some order at the very top. I, I won't be surprised if we look up in two years and Sadiq Bay and Aaron Neesmith are both relevant NBA players 
who we say then should have been picked higher than they were actually picked. Tremendous insight. Great stuff. We have a few more before we get out of here. Uh, what changes do, would you like to see the Sixers make? I know you've mentioned Jay Wright in there in the, in the equation. And would you trade um, Joel or Ben? Because I don't think I would. I think I would keep them together. When you have two of the top 15 guys, I think you keep them and try and make it work. Um, what are your you thoughts on all of that? I'm with you on that. Um, I, I, I know they're not a perfect fit. And I, right. my understanding is they, they're not best friends. But they're not enemies either from what I'm hearing, though, right? Right, right yeah. Like, I don't know that they hate each other. They're just right. best buddies, right? Right. I mean, I mean they, they come from – they have different personalities. Like, what, right. you know, Ben's pretty quiet. Joel, Joel's the opposite of quiet. Yeah. Um, but it, like, you don't have to be best friends. Like, Shaq and Kobe weren't best friends. That, that seemed to work out pretty well, at least while it was happening. Right. Um, uh, I, I'm with you. I, I think if you've got two top 15 players, you don't – you hold on to that and try to figure it out. Um, and, and like maybe the solution is just a different coach with a different imagination who knows how to to get the best out of those two guys like I'm not here to bury Brett Brown but right. maybe maybe a new approach with a new coach can um, can actually figure out how to make those guys work because in the NBA this is I think often a problem you say okay we'll move this top 15 player in the world for pieces and you get a bunch of pieces but like five nickels don't make a quarter, you know, like you get, you get these, you just got, you got either, you got five nickels, but you don't really have a quarter. Like, you know, you, 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 it doesn't equal what it is you just gave away. That is usually the case. And so if I were Philadelphia, um, they've got some other contracts that are problems and I, you know, they'll they'll have to figure out how to resolve that. But I've got two of the top, uh, if you want to be a little looser with it, two of the top 20 or 25 players in the world. Um, I, I want to try to give a new coach an opportunity to make that work in some form. And keep in mind, I know they just got ran off the court by the Celtics. Ben Simmons also wasn't playing. The last time Ben and Joel were in the playoffs healthy together, they were in a game seven and lost to the eventual world champion. So right. like, the, the yeah. idea that this, this can't work is just like it's not backed up by reality. We, we watched it work to a pretty good degree. And so um, – I would want to let my next coach have a shot with those two guys. And then ultimately, if it doesn't work, we can do what some people want to do now later. But I'd want to give a new coach a, a shot with that. As for who should be the next coach, I, I'm not sure. Ty Lue is, is an obvious candidate. Jay Wright's name has been mentioned. Um, I wrote a column about Jay just sort of having the way the college lifestyle gets the NBA lifestyle. I don't actually believe he will leave Villanova for Philadelphia. I do believe he would think about it. And I'm not ruling out the, the possibility of him doing it. Um, but I guess I'd put it this way. If I, if I were Philadelphia, I would want to talk to Jay Wright because I do think he could be um, a really good NBA coach. He, he understands style of play. Yes. He has a, he's adapted at the collegiate level. He played small before people were playing small. Right. Um, plays with five shooters on the court before people were playing with five shooters on the court. And the demeanor, um, I think, translates really well. Like, he is a calm um, presence he, he can get in your face, but he doesn't need to. Um, he's I, like, I, I don't know very many college basketball coaches who are universally liked. Jay Wright is one of them. And nobody, nobody doesn't like Jay Wright. Um, and so I think he has the people skills, frankly, to, to be an NBA coach. Because uh, uh, with few exceptions, you need people skills to be an NBA coach. I, I think he checks basically every box. I don't know if Philadelphia can hire him, but if I were Philadelphia, I would try to. 
Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Gary, how can you see bubbles working at the collegiate level? Because I know there's some controversy with this. Yeah, well, the, the only reason there's controversy is because uh, conference commissioners and athletic directors came out very early in the pandemic and sort of just eliminate, like, just said, we, well, we can't do that. They were like, ah, well, you know, these are student athletes. They're not pros. You can't put them in a bubble. Um, they also said you can't have sports without students on campus. Well, they're back backtracking on that one right now. So they spoke too soon and they spoke in absolutes. And both of those things are, are mistakes. Now what they're realizing is that they might have to use bubbles to, um, you know, to, to be able to pull off a season. And it is important to pull off the season because it's worth a billion dollars. At the very least, the NCAA tournament is worth a billion dollars. 600 million goes to roughly to the NCAA, 400 million roughly goes to member institutions. There's a lot of money at stake. And so I think the first step is they're going to see how football goes. If, if football is played successfully outside of a bubble, they might try to play outside of a bubble. But if it's not, then they will start moving to bubble plans that are already being discussed. And so th there's a million ways to do it. I mean, if you are insistent on having some non-league games, um, one coach explained to me, he, he said, I'm just throwing schools out there. The schools don't matter. The point remains the same. He said, like, what if Michigan State, Kentucky, Villanova all decide to, to create a little bubble and they bring with them Austin P, Hartford, and Murray State? And um, the smaller schools can't afford to do this usually we would pay them, you know, $90,000 to come play us. Instead of paying them to come play us, we'll pay for their testing. We'll charter a flight for them. We'll pay for their hotel accommodations and what they get um, um, in exchange for, for show, you know, what they won't, we won't give them a check anymore, but we'll present them with an expense-free opportunity to play basketball games. So then we, you know, we, everybody quarantines at their own campuses for, you know, a week test, 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 fly to wherever, and then um, test, test, test for a few days. And then we start playing. And if you've got six teams there, everybody gets five games. You play literally everybody else who is there. So if you're Villanova, you get a game against Michigan State and a game against, I don't know what team I said, Kentucky. Right. And then you get a game against Murray State and Austin P and Hartford, whatever. Uh, so you get three winnable games, two big timers. And if you do that twice, um, you've got a 10-game non-league schedule. A normal non-league schedule in college basketball is anywhere from 11 to 14 games. Nothing wrong with playing only 10 or really only six or seven in the middle of a pandemic. So that's one way to create non-league opportunities. And then, um, you know, the, the league bubbles could work, again, in a variety of ways. One proposal I pointed out is just take them um, to a location of your choice and put them up for two months and play every other day. Um, you know, like most of these universities aren't going to have students on campus anyway. So what is the difference between doing online classes uh, at your apartment two miles off campus or online classes at a hotel, you know, 200 miles from campus? There, there's no actual difference. Most students are going to be learning remotely. Why can't basketball players do the same? If you have a real issue about keeping them in the same place for six weeks at a time, then chop it up into two, you know, do, do three weeks of bubble basketball, take a break and come back and do three more weeks of bubble basketball. I don't get caught up on the details. I just insist that you must think big and outside the box to create a way to pull this off. And what's encouraging is right now, I do believe that um, the people who run college basketball are doing exactly that. Their plans might not look exactly like my plans, but 
if they have to be in bubbles to play college basketball um, in January, February, and March, that is what they're going to do. And if they have to have a 68-team bubble NCAA tournament, that is what they will do. Gary Parrish, CBS Sports, thank you for taking the time. Great insight. Uh, please let us know where we can find you on social media and everywhere else. Yeah, um, on Twitter, it's at Gary Parrish CBS. On Facebook, it is also uh, at Gary Parrish with the, the blue check mark. There's one personal page and then one where I post my work and other things. So you can find that on the, on the, the page that actually has the check mark. That's the, I, I guess, work Facebook page. And then uh, on Instagram also at Gary Parrish CBS. So listen, I really appreciate you inviting me on. It was a fun conversation. Real fun. Hope we could do it again soon. Talk soon, Gary. All right, brother. I appreciate you. Take care. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to Combo's Court, and big shouts to Gary for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't already, punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Be on the lookout for episode one, nine, three. Combo out.